give everybody out there listening a very warm White Cat welcome because you're tuned in to the White Cat Outdoors podcast. Like Frank said, you're tuned in to episode 39 of the White Cat Outdoors podcast. I'm in the studio tonight, Tom. I'm here with my brother, Nick. Hey, what's going on, everybody? And tonight, also with us, well, not here in the studio, but podcasting right alongside us, we got the Outdoor Drive with hosts Steve, Stephen, and Trevor. How's it going, guys? How are we? We're doing real good on our end. So before we get uh, too crazy into the podcast, why don't you guys introduce yourselves um, and let our listeners know who you are and... We'll go from there, where you guys are from, because where I know we're both East Coast, East Coast boys here, so. Yeah, go ahead and lead it off. Bro. Uh, I was going to tell you to lead it off, Steve. What the hell, <laughs> man? <laughs> uh, all right. All right. So, so they call me Trev, uh, East Coast Trev, to be more specific. Um, I'm from a small town here in Connecticut, up in uh, northern East Coast, a town called Coventry little hometown one light town that's about it man yeah it's pretty simple yeah i'm steven clark i'm the co-host of the outdoor drive podcast and currently i am located in front royal virginia the canoe capital of virginia and uh i come from out west born and raised in arizona hunted western hunting my entire life with exclusion to, I'll say, the last seven years being over here where I've pretty much immersed myself in the world of East Coast hunting. How did you guys meet up, being one from out west and one east coast? So uh, you you got all night? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we don't have any timeline on ours, so. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, so how we ended up meeting up was I originally had a project called East Coast Bow Hunting Podcast, okay, which I'm familiar with started that. a couple years ago, and um, I broke off with a partnership there. And uh, while it was going through that, uh, the, the other host that was with me was in the process of uh, trying to do on his own thing. So uh, Stephen was actually a guest on the podcast, and at the time I was looking for another co-host to help me out with East Coast. And um, one thing led to another. Bad things happen. We closed the doors on the East Coast Bow Hunting Podcast. We'll just yeah, leave it at that. I know uh, we and, know a little bit about it, um, and it's been said yeah. on some other podcasts. Um, you feel free to dive into it if you want. Uh, we're, we're not censored here, but uh, if you don't feel like you want to, we're not going to push you either. Um, yeah, well, he was just he was a scumbag. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, uh, good way to put it. <laughs> It's, if you want to, you want to know where it is. If you want to hear about it. You can find it on our on our platforms. But um, the uh, as far as as far as that goes, so we were looking for a co-host for East Coast, and uh, one thing had led to another. We ended up closing the doors, and um, me and Steven decided to to start up another project, and that's when we started the Outdoor Drive podcast, um, which a lot of people don't know, but it actually had originated as East Coast Traditions podcast. Um, but with the name blending with the, the past project was probably not a good idea um, to kind of mesh the two. We needed complete and utterly separation. Um, so then we had started um, the Outdoor Drive podcast, and me and Stephen are both hosts of that, and uh, it's, a, it's an all 
all-exclusive outdoor podcast as far as hunting, fishing, hiking, camping, um, everything across the board. Because, you know, we're all diehard bow hunters, but in the full of it, we're big-time fishermen also. I mean, Stephen lives on the Shenandoah. I live on the coast of, of Connecticut. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fisherman by trade, and so we needed to dive a little bit deeper into that, and we all just love to be in the outdoors. So why not have a full outdoor podcast instead of being pigeonholed to one thing over another? Yeah, see, that's what I loved about you guys when I found uh, your podcast. Just It's probably been a couple months now. Um, was That was what we were doing when we started ours because, you know, I'm – really big into hunting. Tom's big into hunting. Uh, my brother's big into fishing, uh, but we're all freshwater where we're at, but he's, he's got a boat and he fishes the great lakes all the time. Um, and then Frank, he's the one that goes out and hunts out West and, uh, in Alaska too. So we just felt like there was more guys out there that, and we're like located one of the best steelhead fishing places in the country, right? Elk Creek, Walnut Creek. Like, yeah, that was another doesn't really big get part much of it. better than that. But we just figured, you know, there's got to be more guys out there like us that, you know, it's not necessarily all they think about is whitetails. You know, there's a certain part of the year where I'm just wanting to kill turkeys or catching bass, you know. Um, so Don't even get me started on turkeys. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Do you share a love-hate relationship with them? Oh, Mostly hate? <laughs> no, honestly, I, whether it's a good season or bad season, Turkeys will hand down always be my second favorite hunt just because of the interaction, mm-hmm. getting out there, the running the ridges, the things like that. But me and Trev had a very, in particular, hard, strange opening week down here in Virginia this year. And uh, we had opportunities, but of course, with cameras involved and multiple people involved and things like that, we never could get it to work out in our favor. And uh, we ended up, I'm going to say, we busted our ass in a way that I don't think any of us ever had for turkeys and never connected. But fortunately, Trev was able to go back to Connecticut and carry on and have one hell of a turkey season. And uh, till this day, second to elk hunting, turkey is the go-to. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to second that. When it comes to turkey hunting, turkey hunting is like, my go-to thing, my number one hunt is turkey hunting. So no that, questions asked. But that'd be what you consider. Obviously, there's a lot that gets you outside, but that's what you uh, come on. Yeah, uh, give me one I, I second. Just, here. I just love it, man. I think, I think more or less, I think turkey hunting is one of those sports that, you know, it's 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 like the duck blind for me, and. And it's one of those, I just like those camaraderie sports where you're with everybody else. You can get youngsters involved. You can work with one another. You can talk. You can have a good time. Um, the strategies, it's a lot easier, right? So, so as far as, like, turkey hunting, as you guys might know, is that you can, you can bring the young ones with you. You can mess around. You can teach them. It, it's very well and easily guided. So you can, it's just, it's so much, you want to get somebody hooked into a sport, you bring them turkey hunting. You bring them duck hunting. You know, if you were to bring somebody deer hunting, they're going to be like, oh, this is boring. You know, there's not, especially on the East Coast, you know, like we don't have the deer populations that other people have in the Midwest or, or out West. So turkey hunting, is, I don't know, dude, it just gets you going. You know, nothing like interacting with them. I don't know. Do you guys have a mentor program up by you guys? 
for like hunting? Uh, no, we actually, I've done my own through a couple of different uh, projects that I've worked on. And, and also I just took the uh, vice president um, of the QDMA for our chapter here in Connecticut. Okay, so like in so Pennsylvania. They, they have a mentor. Yeah, in Pennsylvania, um, basically like you can start hunting at any age as long as like you have like a mentor and they carry your firearm and then like when you get to your location where you're hunting, they can hand you over the firearm uh, whenever you shoot the animal or whatever. Like it's turkey, deer, bear, oh, whatever. Okay. And then, you know, you give the gun back. Um, so I started, I killed my first turkey at 10. Um, that was like my first okay. experience. I killed a little Jake, like before I went to school, I was like in like fourth grade and killed this turkey and then like had time to still get on the bus. Like it was one of them birds that like flat flew down and was dead in 20 minutes. Like it just, so that was like one of my first hunting experiences, oh, yeah. like at 10 years old, killed this bird and then like was on my way to school. And I was like, I mean, I was hooked into hunting from that point on. And for probably five, six years, I was like, Turkey hunting was my by far my favorite. Um, mm -hmm. I've slowly transitioned more into. I still turkey hunt every year really hard, but bow hunting has really um, piqued my interest in the last few years. Um, but I still enjoy turkey hunting a lot. So here in Connecticut, you can start hunting when you're 12. We don't have a mentor program, but you go. You well, it's kind of like a mentor program, I guess. So at 12, you can hunt with an adult accompanied by an adult until you're 16, then you can hunt by yourself. So my thing here, and we have junior seasons, so they start a week or two weeks before prior to, to any of the seasons. So my thing here with turkey season is obviously it gets me in the woods a week, in a full week ahead of season. So I try to take out as many kids as I possibly can and, and kind of get them into it. We had one, uh, one kid named Josh this year that we had taken out. I did a whole YouTube series on it. <laughs> And uh, had a season, man. Let me tell you. Uh, we he shot he shot three birds this year. Uh, he went out with uh, with a good buddy of mine, Seth, and he shot one with him. And then I brought him out, and we shot a tom. And then I brought him to a second spot, and we shot so we shot two toms in one day. And uh, the kid's hooked. I mean, he was just completely lights out, just fired up. And I I have every single year brought out kids and. It's, it's just so cool to watch them. I think for me, man, it's just, just communicating with those birds and getting them to react. Um, this season alone, uh, we killed over 15 birds here in Connecticut behind uh, with me calling for friends. And it's, it's, we hunt all public land. And it's, it's just so much fun to get them fired up. And I guess, like, and how smart they actually are in, like, trying to call at them and then, you know, they just, they come and they just, they just go around you or just how smart they actually are. It just keeps you going back for more. And oh. it's, it's just so much, so much fun. I couldn't agree more. I mean, if, if I killed a bird every time I had one within 80 yards, like I'd have way more birds killed. <laughs> I mean, it, like you said, they just sim they figure out a way to skirt around you or like chill out just outside of range and, uh, head out. I don't know what it is, but, uh, yeah. That's cool, man. I didn't realize, like, you guys are able to, like, is there, like, a, you said it was, like, a program that you're a part of up there that, like, puts you in contact with these kids? No, man. I just put it out on Facebook, bro. I just literally go, who wants their kid to go out and shoot a bird? And oh, I damn, just try man. And that's find awesome. As many as I can. Yeah, and I just, you know, different, different people that, you know, people that have been friends with me locally and for a long time, I just put it out there, man, on hunting pages, whatever I can, to just try and get as many kids out as possible. 
and a lot of times, man, I just like to bring people that probably or kids that probably wouldn't ever have a chance to go and do that. You know, they yeah. might grow up pheasant hunting, or they might grow up deer hunting, or they might grow up whatever, and just try and bring them out to try and get them involved with the outdoors. Yeah, that's cool right. as hell. Yeah, and then on the flip side of it, so I don't do as much of the youth engagement, but uh, so being a veteran, I did eight years in the Army, did two tours overseas, one to Afghanistan, one to Iraq, uh, and came home, and hunting was my connection. You know, that's what brought me back to the real world. But growing up hunting out west, it was one of those things that, you know, I didn't need someone to guide me, but I needed a reason to get out there. So I had teamed up with Operation MPLB Outdoors, so no person left behind. And we would guide vets either wounded or freshly returning. And turkey hunting in itself was probably our number one go-to. We ran the, uh, the Chase Savage annual turkey hunt named after Lance Corporal Chase Savage, who lost an arm in Afghanistan. And that was probably one of the biggest contributions I seen to any of our veterans coming home with that connection to the outdoors and that ability for them to relate that to healing and reintegrating with the real world. So that, that was more of my mentorship program here. That's a really cool program that they have. It's, I wish they had stuff like that around here. Um, but I know like my buddy, Joe uh, Grimaldi, I don't, he, we haven't had him on here or anything, but I met him on a coon hunt. We, were, we used to run dogs, and a buddy of mine, you know, said, hey, a friend of mine's getting ready to go to the military, uh, wants to get out and do some hunting before he gets, um, he, I think he was going off to basic training at the time. Um, so he wanted to go dog, or coon hunting with the dogs, and uh, we took him out. I hunted with him one time, and then he left for basic, got deployed, and kind of like, it was, I met him that one time, that was it, and then like, three years later, uh, the kid reached out to me and was like, Hey man, like I'm home. Like, what are you up to? And I was just getting ready to go up to New York. Um, we got some property up there for my grandpa and we were going up there for Memorial day, doing some Turkey hunting, uh, brought him up there with us. And I think we got a bird that year with him. And that was like one of his, like, that was like the first two experiences I've had with him. And then like, after that, we've been like best friends. So that's, it's cool that like, like we don't have a program to do that kind of stuff like you guys do, but it's cool how like the outdoors can bring people together and share like a common ground easily. Oh, ab- absolutely. And, and my biggest thing is anybody out there, any of your listeners, if you have friends that are veterans or no veterans and they're having a hard time and you want to do them a favor, do some research, find any local organization or even nationwide, like NPLB, Operation Second Chance, uh, Ryan Off the Grid runs a great program. Uh, anything that can help get vets outdoors is probably one of the most beneficial things you can do to help a veteran reintegrate after combat. So put that out there and let everyone know. Do some research, put in some time, and help get these guys outdoors. It's a lifesaver, literally. That's a good point. We'll definitely have to figure out what's in our area and so we can share it because I'm sure there's a program, um, but neither of us are veterans and like we, I don't know about them, but I'm sure, like you said, they're probably out there and there's nationwide organizations too. Oh yeah, there, there are plenty. And if anyone has 
questions or wants guidance or recommendations, let them know to reach out to me. I'm more than happy to help. Um, and I can put them into some great connections that are nationwide, and they do everything from the West Coast to the East Coast. And I'm happy to do anything for them. I appreciate that, man. That's big. Trev, I know a lot of the stuff I see on your Instagram uh, has a lot to do with the uh, tuna fishing, too. Um, I know we've been mostly talking hunting and stuff, but... Um, Wait, Trev, you tuna fish? Nope, never been. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was rumor I heard about it. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I'll give you a little background, a little bit about me. So, I grew up, obviously, fishing. Um, I, I took at 15, I started working in a bait and tackle shop. And I had been there until about, I was about uh, 20, 21 years old. Um, I left and I started working for a family business for a little bit and then just decided that, you know what, just not for me, the traveling on the road, not being able to be home. Um, actually, it was the day before turkey season, and uh, I was in Boston, and I was working up there. And I told my pops, I said, I'm going home for turkey season. He said, no, you're not. And I said, fine, I quit. So ever since then, uh, I came home, and my wife was like, well, you need to find a job. And I said, well, I guess I'm going to work on a fishing boat then. So that's what I started doing, and uh, this is my seventh season on the fishing boats. Uh, different fishing boats, just working with different captains, doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, from porgy fishing on party headboats, 100 passengers, to six-pack charters, um, shark fishing, tuna fishing, commercial fishing up north in Cape Cod for striped bass, and then... Um, Recently, in the past couple of years, I've gotten into this whole giant tuna fishing. Uh, so I got some friends that uh, are kind of into it, so I've had the pleasure of being able to go and do that. So um, this year was actually I've probably done uh, 10 times, 12 times with no success at all, and uh, oh, it shit. gets, gets kind of <laughs> crazy. <laughs> um, no, uh, this year finally was able to hook up, and um, I actually was able to kill. Uh, the first one this year was 72 and a half inches. Uh, it was right around 200 and some, some odd pounds. Damn. And then uh, two weeks later, we decided to go back out, and uh, I killed another one, which, uh, what was that, 86 inches? Uh, was, I don't even know. Just I, I never lost the weight. It was just fucking huge just weight was 455 pounds uh that one got shipped off to japan and we ended up for five dollars a pound so i i'll be honest with you i don't really know like what a good price is on tuna it's a horrible price oh really <laughs> it's like, a horrible I, fucking price <laughs> yeah we know on wicked tuna they sell it for like 18 bucks a pound I don't oh know. don't even get me going i'm gonna be nice and just not go there um <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of realization to all that. And what it is is ever since, like, that Wicked Tuna show had come out, obviously it's a spike. It's like when Duck Dynasty came out, right? Everybody oh, was yeah, everybody was now. a duck hunter. That's right. So it's the same thing with with tuna fishing. They've seen it. They see, think you can make all this big money, and they go and they do it. Yes, at one time you were getting $15, $18, $20 a pound. I've seen it. I've heard of it. But... Now, with the market being so flooded and with the whole COVID things, obviously Japan is shut down. So, they're obviously, the demand is not as high. So, 
the prices are, are down and they're flooding the markets. So what the buyers have now done is they only buy on, say, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, or I think it's, yeah, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. So they don't buy on the weekends. So a lot of the weekend guys that are, we'll call them new, uh, tuna fishermen, can't sell and flood the market. Um, so that's kind of, that's last year it was a dollar a pound, and this year we're looking at five, six, seven dollars a pound per fish. Um, and it's not one of those things that, like, you go and they pull up in the truck, they do a core sample, they check it, and they go, oh, I think you'll get five dollars a pound. It doesn't work like that. They come, they pick up the fish, you give them all your paperwork, they leave with your fish. In two weeks, you get a check in the mail, and whatever it is, is what it is. Doesn't matter. Man, Whether so it's you... 30 cents a pound or $50 a pound. So not they just like send the you movies. A check in the mail. No, not even close. And it's the same with uh, commercial striped bass. Uh, I did that up there for uh, two years. And it's the same shit. They would literally, everyone can be a commercial fisherman, so the market gets flooded and the prices go down. There was times we were getting $3 a pound for striped bass, which goes $22 a pound in the market. Um, so you're making a hard living. At one time, it was worth a lot of money, but now it's so easy for somebody to get a commercial fishing license up there that everybody does it. Everybody does it because they think it's easy, um, and they just flood the market. No. So I guess in your experience, like, do you think that this is something that's going to be like short-lived, and then in a few years, like these weekend warriors or whatever, uh, are going to die out when they realize it's not as profitable as Discovery Channel made it look? So, I mean, in the tuna world, everybody, I mean, the excitement of catching those fish, and there's some phenomenal tuna fishermen out there. Um, it's it's amazing to to catch a fish of that caliber. Um, do I think that they're going to stop doing it? Absolutely not. Um, it's, it's, once you're hooked into it, it's no joke. Um, and the thing is this, right? So, if you go and you catch a fish, and it's 73 inches or better, it has to be sold, no questions asked. You cannot, cannot keep that fish. That fish has to go to market, no wow, matter what. It has to get a commercial tag and has to be sold. Anything under 73 is a recreational fish. So they can be kept up to, I think it's 45 on the bluefin. So 45 and up can be kept, um, which is a, a medium. And... That can be kept. So you can keep, I think you can keep one medium from 45 to 72, and then one or two smalls from 40, 40, so we'll call it 40 inches to 27 inches. Um, so, but anything over 73 has to go to market. No questions asked. You cannot keep it. You cannot, you, you can't do anything. It has to be sold. Um, and if, and if, for some reason, like right now with this whole fluctuation and they're only buying on certain days and this, that, and the other thing, if they deny the fish, so if you burn the core, you literally have to call DNR and they come down and they have to either give you a tag or they take the fish. Now, so, so you're telling me they can, so what are they doing if they take the fish? Like, um, normally, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I honestly don't know because um, we've never been in that scenario but we've heard of them you have to call them and then they come down and there is rumors that they potentially could be taking the fish because you're not allowed to possess it because it's a commercial fish because it's over 73 inches so my 
my understanding is that they would bring it to like a, a shelter or they would bring it to something like that and use it just like as if they were to catch poachers with over the limit fish i'd imagine um because you're they, there's a quota so you could only catch x amount of pounds of fish um and and that's that's their quota for the year you know what i'm saying because you could only yeah. kill x amount of fish so it's, it's a crazy Oh, it's insane! I'll tell you, when you start getting fed, federally regulated, it it gets nuts. It gets it gets nuts. Um, it's the same with sharks. They get crazy with sharks. Sharks are like, you know, obviously because there's so many people on the other side against shark fishing um, and killing sharks. So it gets it gets kind of crazy, and they regulate them really big, like uh, mako sharks, for example. Um, we used to have to be able, we could, we could keep a fish that was 83 inches or larger. They had just changed it two years ago to 83. Now we can keep a male at, I believe 71, I want to say. I'm horrible with this shit, dude. This no, that's, I, no, I get it. There's like a, I'm sure there's a, you have to almost have a list on your boat to remember everything. Yeah. I mean, it gets, it gets kind of nuts. So, well, they keep changing them is what it is. So female mako sharks is 83 inches. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I don't know if you ever caught a, a mako shark, but when you put one at the side of the boat, the last thing you're trying to do is roll it over to see if it's a male or a female. The thing that I, it looks like jaws. I don't know if you've ever seen the teeth of a mako, but you don't want your hands anywhere near it. So it's kind of one of those things, man. It's, it's, uh, they definitely regulate the living daylight out of it. And I get it and I understand it because they found out that these fish are, you know, they hit their sexual maturity at a certain length and they want to, they want to produce bigger numbers of those fish. And I totally get it. I mean, it's the same with the striped bass here. Um, they just, we can only keep fish between 20 and 35 inches. Um, and that's because I don't know if you guys know this fun fact, real, really cool fact. Um, striped bass are, are one of the hermaphrodite fish. So when they get to a certain size, they actually become females. And they actually become egg producers, so that's why your fish over 35 inches, um, actually, you're not allowed to keep. So your giant fish, they actually become females, and they actually start producing eggs. So it's a pretty cool, fun fact. That's pretty pretty wild. Uh, yeah, I never cow. knew that. I guess. It, yeah, and it's the same. what's that? Well, I was just uh, trying to almost relate with like how regulated everything is. Um, Back where we're at, we're, we about two years ago got into uh, rattlesnake hunting down here, and it's the same sort of regulations where, that. huh? <laughs> you can have that. It's, it's actually, it's a lot of fun. Um, I mean, there's, you get the adrenaline rush, obviously, but uh, I mean, like in, in one thing, like one of the regulations, like you aren't, you can't kill anything with a firearm. So like you have to like, we're, we catch them with tongs, but the biggest, like, what made me think of it is when you said, you know, when you get a mako up to the side of the boat, the last thing you want to do is flip it over and figure it out if it's male or female. Um, that's part of the stipulations with rattlesnake hunting where it has to be a male to keep it. Um, and it's got to be over 42 inches. So when we first started, you know, you're thinking like, okay, so I got to measure this snake that to make sure, like, so I got this snake that's poisonous that probably doesn't want to be in my hands anyway, figure out how long he is and find out if he's a male or female. And... So, like, that was, like, the biggest learning curve for us when we started. Um, but it kind of, for me, it just made me think of, like, when you start talking about the Makos, um, the rattlesnakes seemed like kind of the same 
regulations almost because they're just trying to keep the populations yeah. at a healthy rate uh, growing and right. But, but the mako's not going to kill you when it bites you. It's just going to fuck you up. <laughs> That's different. So, so my issue with rattlesnakes growing up out west. So we used to ranch cattle out on the Kaibab, southern or northern Arizona, southern Utah, and. There was one day we were at a catch pen. We had just brought in a herd of cattle, and I'm standing on the fence, and my brother, he comes over to me and just looks at me and says, do not move. I went, what the hell's going on? And he goes, look down. Well, there was a, a at that point, it was a giant rattlesnake, big diamond back, curled up between my legs. And he said, on the count of three, I want you to jump to the top row of that fence. I jumped. He put a piece of plywood between me and the snake. The snake came up, hit the plywood, going after me. And once I got up there, they hit him with some buckshot, and that was that. And since then, I got no care to do it. Kind of rattlesnake. Yes, we're not. We don't have diamondbacks where we're at. We got uh, eastern timber rattlesnakes. Um, they're not. They don't get quite as big um, as the uh, diamondbacks, but. Like our, a big snake around here is like 50 inches is kind of like the benchmark. Um, so you asked me a 20 inch snake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have to be, they have to be, like I said, they had to be 42 to keep them. Um, and we kept one last year. I measured live at 48 and a half. So w once they're dead and you can like actually stretch them out, figure out their length, they usually gain like three to five inches. Um, Cause I mean like, try and grab like a snake that's almost 50 inches long and keep them in a straight line to measure them like it's pretty tough but oh yeah um my, so my question was like what game what would you ask i said how do you kill them so there's a few different ways um some i don't have the balls to do um so like i said you aren't allowed to use a firearm <laughs> there that's the that's the big thing you can't you can't shoot them um with actually you can't kill them with a bow either like it's no, like, projectiles, basically. Um, so how we do it is uh, there's two different ways we've done it. You can freeze them, um, which basically just puts them, um, like, into their harbor, like, puts them into, like, hibernation almost, um, and then you keep them in the freezer for a week, and that'll kill them. Um, the other way is drowning them, but that, like, takes, that takes, like, two hours, but I don't really like doing that because like it just i'd rather be it make it quick or like when you freeze them it's like peaceful for the snake like they pretty much just go into hibernation and don't wake up um i just don't like the idea of like dropping them in the water and them like not being able right, to breathe that's, that's, that's like some inhumane shit <laughs> yeah so the freezing is like the easy like the most humane if you want to keep them intact um because like they're not it's not gonna they're not gonna be in any pain um the other way you can do them we uh we had a a veteran rattlesnake hunter on the podcast a few months back. Um, and what he does is, um, actually like just cuts their head off with a pocket knife. Um, and I don't trust myself to do that one yet either, just because my fingers are way too close to the mouth. Um, <laughs> exactly. and so I haven't done that. And then, uh, the, uh, there's like a towel whip method where basically you would grab it by the tail and whip it like it was a towel and it breaks their neck. Um, which is also very humane. Oh, I've seen that. It's super humane. It doesn't hurt the snake. It just ends it very quickly. But my thing is like, I don't, I can't control where that head goes or anything. And I just, so the freezing method is what we use. Um, 
just because that works the best. Um, but the permit we have actually allows you to keep them live as a pet as well. Um, so it basically it's late, <laughs> it's laid out. So basically, like your permit allows you to have one rattlesnake in possession, um, whether it's live or dead, doesn't matter. For us, like when I when I kept my snake last year, um, what I did was is I kept him in a tank for like two weeks, and basically like I have like younger cousins and stuff, and I just wanted them to be able to like see a rattlesnake up close because, I mean, who else? Like it's not something you can see all the time. And uh, I just wanted that experience for them. So I kept it alive for two weeks um, before putting it, putting it down. And then I ended up getting it freeze dried. So I had it like wrapped around a buck skull from a deer that I killed a few years prior. Uh, it turned out really cool, but. Yeah, screw that. Most that, bro. Most that. That's, <laughs> that's how I feel about the sharks and stuff. Like we, me and Tom and uh, my family and stuff, we've we've caught black tips and stuff, but like never, I mean like five footers was like the biggest we'd ever caught. Um, and we have a small experience with like tuna and marlin, um, but that's like, we're from Erie, Pennsylvania. So like, it was like, we'd go on vacation down by the beach and get on a boat uh, like once every few years. Um, but it's, I mean, I, I respect the, like none of the tuna we were catching are like anything that like you got pictures of it's insane i mean we live here man this is what we do every day i mean that's what i do for a living so i'm on the water all the time and just it's it just is what it is you know i guess i guess we we kind of not really take it for granted but you know it's, it's kind of funny it's like our friends in the midwest and stuff and you'll talk to them they're like oh my god that's so cool man you got a giant tuna or you got a giant shark and it's like yeah you shot a 200 inch bike tail I'd like to be fucking doing that too, but I yeah. just can't. Like it's just where I am, right? So it's it's it you know, and if you can share that with other people and they get to they get to experience it, man, like you know, like sharing the, the rattlesnake with your cousins and stuff, you know? As many people as I can bring out to do that and enjoy it and catch big striped bass and catch, you know, big sharks and tuna and stuff. I, I, that's that's what I'm all about, man. Because I, I you know, I'm blessed to be able to do that and I'd like to share it with everybody. Yeah, you be careful with that because if my younger, my youngest brother, uh, he's 20 and he's real big into fishing around here, but his like end goal is to end up on saltwater fishing. Um, so if he starts bugging you on Instagram or something, I, I'm not taking any responsibility for that. Bring but. it. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, Trev's the guy. You want to go out, you want to have a good time, hit up Trev. Bring it. Bring it, bring it, bring it. Yeah, he actually just... My youngest brother, like I said, he, he was up in Alaska for 10 days a little while back um, for the salmon run. Um, so that was his first experience in Alaska and stuff. But the kid just wants to fish all over the place. Like he, he's like talking New Zealand now because I guess there's really big rainbows out there. Um, but he's just. Get away from, don't, don't let him saltwater fish, bud. Don't let him do it. Yep. <laughs> That's my mom's like, I don't, I don't think we'll get him back if he hits. Like he's done a little bit of saltwater fishing when we're, you know, on the beach or something. But. Uh, his end goal, I think, is eventually he wants to, like, live on the coast and do that for a living. Yep, start now. <laughs> I'll get him a job. When does he want to come? I'm looking yeah. for another mate. <laughs> He'll be on his way if he's sitting right here. <laughs> like, peace out, guys. I got I to gotta drive. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. It's nothing, nothing better, man. Saltwater fishing is incredible. And, you know, it's it's... I wish that I had the time to be able to travel around and, you know, do the Carolinas and, 
in Georgia and Florida and the Keys and, you know, that kind of stuff or the, you know, the Gulf of Mexico. But, you know, we're just so busy here during that time that, you know, and I have a bunch of friends that go to those places in the winter. But, I mean, what do we do in the winter? Yeah, we're, we're, we're deer hunting. Yeah. So, <laughs> I ain't leaving here for, for that. You know, it's, it's bad enough that I'll leave and I'll have a trip. And, you know, this year I'll be in, uh, me and Steven will both be in Ohio for Halloween. So we'll be there for a week. So I'm leaving the best time of the rut to yeah. go hunt somewhere else. Me and Tom got our trip planned. Uh, we're going upstate New York, actually. For We'll be up there for Halloween through the first week of November. That's awesome. Where about upstate? You going to hit the Adirondacks? Uh, so we're a little south of the Adirondacks, um, fin- like Finger Lakes area. Okay. okay. Gotcha. So. I did a little yep. bit of hunting in Ohio last year, but I went in like the end of January, um, and by oh, then public land gets hit like real hard, and I had we had trouble yeah. getting on deer, and we didn't get in early enough for doe tags, and we only saw one buck, and it wasn't anything to shoot over in Ohio for us. I mean, it was, it was like just a little half rack, um, but I mean, it was still cool to be over there, but I don't really have much experience in Ohio, but New York is like... We live like 20 minutes from New York, um, so we hunt a lot of PA and a lot of New York. That's awesome. Yeah, I've got a farm up in uh, the Friendsville area, northern PA on the New York border, and we do quite a bit of hunting up there. And the way we've kind of figured it out is, you know, if we're not there October, October early season, the pressure increases and it becomes pretty much insubstantial so you got to get there when it's hot before everyone gets there yeah and i think that's what we ran into in ohio is we waited too long to get in there and it was just overrun by the time we got there in january right and i fully get that and but that's the thing is you went out there you did it you learned and next time you guys do a hunt out there you'll probably plan a little different based on than all that you have. Oh, yeah. And I think the, the sign was there. Like, that was what was puzzling at first, but it, it didn't take as long to realize what the problem was. But um, the sign was there, so we, like, we liked the area, but um, just I think we were there too late. And it's t- it was tough. We couldn't find we, – or we, di- we were having trouble getting on a food source, you know, late January. Um, oh, yeah. We, found, we did find, like, a standing uh, corn field, like, I mean, probably, like, acre and a half that was on some public – um, but it was pretty much all chewed up by the time we got there. Right. Yeah, and at that point, you, it's hard to tell once everything falls, everything dies, what was actually left over from, you know, the November, early December time frame. So that sign, it may have looked great, but it may be stagnant. So what you get in and you see and it looks good may not be all that great. Yeah, that's a good point. So we kind of skipped over it because um, we're, we're almost in more of our goals for the season and stuff, but I don't want to get too far ahead. We like we like to do what we call a smoke break, um, kind of stop the podcast for a minute and uh, go over a food recipe. It started off as like we were only doing smoked recipes, and about like, uh-huh. 15, like 15 weeks in, we realized that like we had nothing else to smoke. <laughs> Um, and then we like transitioned into trying to pull our guests to give us a recipe because like 
I've only got so many recipes um, for like that I can think of off the top of my head. So what was cool is like you start talking to people from, you know, all over the country, really, um, with different recipes that I've never heard of. Like we had a couple weeks ago, we had a guy. Um, I don't know if you guys follow Deers and Beers out of Michigan. Um, yeah. So we had them on a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about these like cheeseburger turnovers that they use with ground venison that I, I had never heard of, but sound like delicious. Um, so like I said, we, we do the smoke break every week with, if, if we have a guest, um, and, uh, just like you said, we want to hear a recipe from you guys that some way you guys prepare the game that you're harvesting each year, or whether it's, you know, tuna or venison. So Trev, I'm going to let you handle this one. <laughs> no, you, you can, you can do, you can do, you can do one of your own, but I'll start off with one. Yeah, All right. Go oh, we're going to get off. two. It's like a bonus here. I'll give you three. I'll All right. You, I'll give we're you in. two, right? Oh, okay, so, Trip, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask from my end. I want you to go over, one, how we do tuna, and two, how we did that shark over I was, the salt. How did you know, bro? How did you know where I was about to go? I'm not going to tell you, but there's one way I will eat tuna, and I'm curious to see if you guys are on doing the same way or if I'm going to have a new way to try it. And I'm not saying uh, in a we, can. We, I'll tell you right now, it's not like canned tuna. I know that there's like not even close to the same better. thing. <laughs> we eat that shit raw. We eat that shit raw. What do you mean? <laughs> you, don't, you don't cook tuna. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> um, no, if you do, so we eat it raw a lot of times. Shishimi, man. We just mm-hmm. play the shishimi. Um, I'm huge with that. A little bit of, uh, you know, wasabi, um, soy sauce, dip it in. Eat it raw. That's the best way to eat it, in my opinion, when it's fresh. Um, other than that, I do big steaks. Um, I do blackened with uh, sesame seeds, black sesame seeds, and then you take it and you just sear it uh, two minutes each side, keep it raw in the middle, uh, thin slice it, and eat it that way, man. That's that's my go-to when it comes to tuna. Simple and easy. All right. Um, that, that's the way that we, like, anytime we do tuna, um, is the, like you said, the tuna steaks and just get like a griddle pipe and hot and just sear each side. I like, we like to keep the center still cool. Like I still want the center yep. to be a little cold. Um, but I mean, I, I'd be down to try it raw too, because like if it's really, it's not far off, I guess, from searing it. Mm-hmm. No, I just, I mean, it's just so good. I mean, we eat it right on the boat off the cutting board, bro. Oh really? Like that's, that's, oh Yeah. Nothing better than that, man. Just eating it as raw as you possibly can. Just perks of the job, I guess, so right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, you can sashimi so many different things. I mean, we sashimi uh, black sea bass, you know, ceviche. Um, there's a million and one ways to eat it. Um, you know, you get hungry out there, you know. But um, like Stephen was talking about, um, the shark, uh, thresher shark, probably one of my favorites. And the way... We had done it when Stephen was up visiting here. I have a Himalayan, a pink Himalayan salt rock, um, and we actually cooked it on that. We did a, a sesame ginger, uh, uh, what do we do, teriyaki, teriyaki ginger. Yeah, um, very simple. Teriyaki, ginger, a uh, little bit of lime juice, and you just, I marinated it in it for 20 minutes, and then I just cooked it on the, uh, on the Himalayan salt rock over the grill. And uh, let me paint the picture. Okay, I was going to so say, I'm, I'm going to need a little bit of clarification rock. here. Yeah. It's, take a 
I'll just say, for instance, a 12-inch by 18-inch square block that's about three inches thick that is just pink Himalayan salt. And then you throw that straight on top of the grill, and then you throw the shark meat on top of the salt. So you cook it, you flip it on top of the salt, flip it over, you're done. And then when you're done, you just rinse the salt block off, ready to go. Oh, so you, so it's like a reusable thing. You just keep pulling the salt block out each time. You just rinse yeah. it off. Yeah, it's like a it's like like a like a griddle. It's a salt griddle is really what it is, man. We cook steaks on it. We cook shrimp. We cook lobster. We really? cook everything on this. It's amazing. Now, is this something you guys I mean, can like pick up like locally at some like meat market or anything? Like, because I've never even seen that around here. It was actually given to me as a gift. Um, my aunt had actually bought it for me. But uh, I guess she got it at one of the cooking stores. Uh, you can order them online. It's called a salt rock. I mean, they have, like, I didn't realize it, but it's like a whole different world, um, this whole salt rock cooking. You can actually, uh, you, there's cookbooks for it. Uh, you name it. Um, they cook everything on it. And it's amazing, bro. It's, it's, it's a whole different level of cooking. So, yeah, so I, like I understand that like, you know, to me like Himalayan salt seems to be way like like milder than sweet or sea salt if that makes sense, like it doesn't seem to like overpower everything like so like how like I mean, I don't is it like saltier obviously like when you're cooking it on the nope. block? Like like how is it like transferred nope. to it almost? It's it's a little bit, man, but it's not like you you don't there's no salt taste to it when it's cooked on it. It's weird. Okay. Um, it gives it a little bit of a salty flavor, but it's not like, it's not what you would expect. Like you would think like, you're obviously thinking salt and it's just like over. Yeah. 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 Over with yeah, salt. It, it, it basically kind of the way it spoke to me when I had it is the salt block itself will infuse the meat all the way through with a salt flavor without adding the actual salt. I think that's the best way to put it. Mm. Okay. Pretty crazy. No, I'm interested in that now because I've never, I've never even, yeah, I've, ne- I've never even heard of it. I'll yeah, that's it like a it, most it exotic so one we've had I on a smoke break. I really want to do a smoked venison backstrap on one of those this year. I so really do. So put the whole block in the smoker. Yep. Put the just... block in. Put the meat on top and smoke it. Hmm. I think it would be an absolutely killer combination. I'm in. <laughs> I, I love trying, you know, like, I mean, yeah. I'm, we're, like, especially, like, venison, because, like, that's our main deal. Um, but, I mean, like, turkey, goose, like, anything. Um, oh, yeah. I just, I, I like trying different ways to eat it, because, like, not that, like, just steaks get old, but, like, it's fun to try different ways to prepare it and, you know, just see what else is out there. And, like, that salt block I've never even heard of. So I'm going to – now I'm going to be looking for a salt block. But – Yeah, it's called a pink pink salt block, man. Pink salt block, all right. find it anywhere online. I, I'm sure, I yeah, online is probably the easiest way. Because, like I said, we've I've never seen one uh, in the stores around here. No, I, I, and, I, and I don't really know where I, – I, I don't think that they would sell it Oh, so it's literally, it's called the Natural Block Cooking Salt Plate Himalayan Chef. Um, they're like 25 bucks. Wow. 
And you can, they even like, they come with, you can get it right on Amazon. Perfect. And it, yeah, and you just, you just have to buy the, the only thing is you have to buy like the rack. The Himalayan, it's so eight inches by 12 and a half by two inches, and it's a cooking block, salt plate, and it comes with a holder shipped to your door for thirty-seven twenty-six. All right, that that is like that's in the fact checking shit. (laughs) Yeah, I'm digging it. That's for our listeners right there. If they're ready to order, that's where to go. Yeah, it's cool, man. It's something different, you know. For forty bucks, I mean, and and even I bet you if you search here, I bet you that there's actually a a a cookbook that uh, you could probably get it with a cookbook somewhere. Oh, there's one right here. Um, it it literally comes with the salt plate recipe book and and the a little thing and everything so you can order it right there on amazon oh yeah man that's it yeah it makes sense i mean you see those like high level chefs and stuff that like cook their steaks with just like putting like the full garlic cloves in the pan and stuff and like let it rest Mm -hmm. on top so like it sounds like it's probably like the same concept with like it just like uh steven said just like infuses the uh meat with the salt flavor without you know just putting a bunch of salt on top of it oh yeah I, it's amazing, bro. I just it makes me want to just hang up from this phone call and go cook on it right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> problem is now you've uh, you you got Steven's got to top that now. Now, see, so mine, what I have going right now is extremely simple, and it's very uh, I, I'm going to say applicable to what's going on in the southern half of the U.S. because I know places like Connecticut and some of them northern Yankee states don't have it. You mean uh, liberal states? I'm not saying it. You do. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, we're in the middle of dove season. So our deer seasons haven't opened down here, at least in this part of the central U.S. You and mean flying jalapeno poppers? Flying jalapeno poppers. <laughs> that is like all over Facebook this year. So there is nothing better than taking some fresh dove right out of the field Peel the breasts out, bring them out, wrap them in jalapeno, stuff a little bit of cream cheese in there, throw them on the smoker for two hours at right about 200 degrees, and then you pull them out, and it is the ultimate jalapeno popper. That sounds banging. That is, it, it's not as elaborate as what Trev has going on, but let me tell you, that Dove jalapeno popper, you can't beat it. You you eat the dove hearts too? Oh yeah. Okay, so it's our uh, our pheasant season and dove season overlaps um, down here. So like uh, back, my buddy used to have a bird dog, and we'd go pheasant hunting. And you know, a lot of times you're seeing doves too. And what we would do is take the pheasant, do like kind of like a beer can chicken style, and put the yep. uh, the breasts and the heart uh, in the tray, and just like as the beer overflowed, kind of like slow cooked it, um, and that turned out pretty good that way. But um, Jalapeno poppers are more my my style. I like. I'm I, telling you, we are big on spicy do food down here. Poker, you can't beat it. You guys duck hunt too down there? No, I do not duck hunt, and I've got a really close friend that's big into duck hunting, and he tells me not to get into it. <laughs> yeah, it's more addictive and cost expensive than turkey and deer combined. Yeah, he told me he's like, if you think you're broke from deer hunting, uh, uh-huh. you just stay out of duck hunting. <laughs> exactly. I, White I, words. I used to be a huge waterfowl hunter, goose hunter, duck hunter, you name it. That's what I, I used to do a ton of it. And 
Then I found out what C Delcon is. <laughs> okay, and enlighten you me. You might here. as well just you might as well just sign over your house because it's a whole new level of broke. Um C Delcon is so so we have here on the coast up here we have um we have a couple different species. We have scoters, we have eiders, we have scoters, eiders, long tails, which are old squaws, and then we have um I'm missing one, bro. I am bad at this. Scoters, eiders. <laughs> You're the go-to. Yeah. Horrible. Oh, no. Scoters, <laughs> eiders, long tails. Um, I'm thinking scoters because there's three different kinds of scoters. We have commons. We have um, surf scoters. And we have, uh, man, I'm fucking bad at this right now. Why am I drawing a blank? But anyways, so these sea ducks are... All I can think of is the king eider. Yeah, but that's a western thing. That's a west coast <laughs> thing. We don't have those here. I wish we had those here. Uh, we have harlequins too, but you can't shoot them. Um, but the sea duck hunt, dude, is, is the shit, man. It's it's like goose hunting in the middle of the ocean. So you get in these layout boats, man. We put out like six, seven dozen decoys in the middle of the ocean. We sit in the boats or we're in the layouts. Um, and we just shoot the shit out of sea ducks in the middle of the ocean. That's it badass. is the coolest thing you ever done in your life. In the middle of January, freezing your balls off, it is a blast. So dude. you're doing that um, in Connecticut, like, in the middle of January. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, that's going to be oh, cool yeah. as hell. It's a blast in the middle of the ocean, by the way, if you didn't know. <laughs> is, that, is that where the sea ducks are? No, that's yeah, awesome. It's, it's cool as hell. And, um... They're, they're fun. They're fun to shoot, man. They they are an absolute blast, and they're beautiful. The eiders, the 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 Drake eiders are absolutely gorgeous. Um, those and the long tails, the old squaws, they got these beautiful long tails on them. They're just they're something else, bro. They're so much fun to shoot, and they decoy so well. They come in and they just they set right up and they get shot right in the face every time. That's Miserable. awesome. Yeah, I'm sh- I mean, obviously they eat good. I'm assuming. No, they eat horrible. You w- you wouldn't want them, they're, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. They're absolutely gross. They're disgusting. I'm not just, if you ever get into it, just send them all my way. I'll dispose of them. No, no, you want nothing to do with them. I promise you, bro. So you they don't want. It's like shooting a, a teal or a redhead. Uh uh-uh, uh. Uh uh-uh. uh. Like it. Uh, yeah. it, it. All right. I'm gonna uh, just so you can understand what they actually taste like. If a if a if a white-tailed deer eat fish every single day <laughs> that's what it would taste like <laughs> that's a good way to put it okay. they smell they they're not good eating at all oh really Nothing's okay so i thought you were being sarcastic no 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 they taste like shit they're like the worst <laughs> yeah, see here i'm thinking your you're life. sitting here like oh no they taste like shit you wouldn't like them like i thought that was like sarcasm oh, yeah. but no you're like they actually oh, taste like shit <laughs> oh yeah, I mean if you want, I'll send them all to you, bro. I'll send you bags of them. You, but you're not gonna want them. Um, what we do with them is we make uh, sausage and kibasa, uh to kind of cover it up. Oh hell yeah! As best as we can. That's what we do or, in bear. Or yeah, it's the same thing. Shitty meat. What do you do? You just add a bunch of spices and fat to it. It's gonna taste good, right? Yeah, you throw some kibasa. You know, do some smoker. Yeah, and you serve it to people yeah, when they're yeah. drunk. It's gonna be the best go. food they ever ate. Yep, exactly. Um, or, or we actually deep fry them and make dog treats out of them. Um, they just, 
they're just not a good eating eating duck at all. Um, they just eat fish and car- crustaceans, um, yeah, and they guess, just taste like shit. I guess that makes sense because I mean, like we we got a lot like mallards and stuff down here, and they they're delicious. But Would you eat a megancer? A what? That's like that. Yeah, that's like them long. Like they got the real long beaks, real small, and like right. Yeah, the yard darts. Yeah, you. We've seen them. They got them in the pond once in a while. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they taste like crap, man. You're like they eating a blue like heron. They, they, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like eating a blue heron. Um, they're just not a good eating. Those stuff. things are um, but they're pesky just bastards. Wing shoe and they're fun to catch. I mean, fun to kill. Yeah, yeah fun um, to catch, huh? Yeah, it's fun to catch, but. No, see that kind of fun, man. You sit in the boat with the boys, and uh, just shoot them up to blast. They got some blast. videos on YouTube, man. You could definitely check them out. They're pretty badass videos. That's one I wanted. So another another thing I wanted to talk to you guys about was uh, you mentioned that like you got videos on YouTube and stuff. So like, do you guys do? You guys film yourselves, or like, how do you guys produce in videos and stuff? Yeah, man, we 100% self-filmed. Um, I try to carry a camera with me as much as I possibly can, but I'm horrible at it. Yes, you are. <laughs> I mean, I bring a camera everywhere I go, but I just get so indulged with what I'm doing, I forget to press the record button. So I do have a couple of videos um, on YouTube. We have a bunch on uh, the Outdoor Drive podcast, um, YouTube, and then I have some on my personal that I'm in the process of moving them over to the Outdoor Drive so everyone can see them there. Gotcha. We just started trying. Well, we've been like self-filming for a long time with like GoPros and shitty cell phones. Um, this year, we decided we really wanted to try to videotape some more. Um, but dude, it adds a whole nother level of like killing deer as hard as it is on the East Coast. And like now, I got to worry about a camera in the tree. So, I mean, it's gonna be fun because like for me. The reason, like, I always brought, like, a GoPro or something is, like, you come back from camp and you see, you know, like, the craziest shit in the tree. And nobody wants to believe you. But, like, if you've got the film, you can be, like, here, check it out. Like, it's right here. Um, that was exactly. kind of my yep. drive for, to, like, and, why I wanted to and, and start recording. And, and so I do all the production work. And so I do IT as a regular job. That's how I do my 9 to 5. And, uh, oh, okay. I didn't know that. We just kind of we get along, but when you get into self filming or filming in general, cinematography, photography, whatever it may be, taking the picture, taking the video—that's the easy part. It's when mm-hmm. you get into editing and post production and adding in effects and doing sound treatment and all the stuff like that. That's where shit gets a little bit crazy. And the more you do, the better you get. But you'll never get there unless you do it. And I'll tell you right now, you're going to suck at the beginning. It's going to be horrible. And you'll look back 10 years and you'll go, what the hell was I thinking? That is horrible. But every time you produce something and you put it out there, you'll get a little better. Mm-hmm. And so for anyone out there wanting self-film or getting involved and doing all this, learn the production end of it because that is where it's make or break and every video you make is going to suck a little less than the last one that's a great way to put it really preach that i I mean you can't do it unless you hit record 
it, it, my thing is, so, I mean, having Steven on, you know, working with Steven, it, it's the best mix. I go out there, I kill shit, and I send him the video, and then I don't have to deal with it. It's the greatest <laughs> thing in the world. Like, here you go, Steve. But, but the thing is, like, Steven's nasty at what he does, man. He's very good with the technology. He's very good with editing. It's, it's absolutely next to none. I mean, we had our turkey video. Um, we didn't kill shit, and it's the most intense hunting video you've ever seen in your life. And we didn't kill a thing. Does um, it, it's what's that? Oh, Steve, or does Steven do like your guys's uh, like cover art and stuff for your episodes too? Because like I always like yes, those sir. things look clean as hell. Yeah, yes, I, sir. Like, I do the cover art. I do all the uh, YouTube YouTube editing, all the stuff for our online videos for the video cast. Um, and, and that's really the thing is you just. You start learning software and how to edit stuff and just get it put together in a way that it's aesthetically pleasing. And trust me, I was not great at this from the beginning. I, If you saw the stuff I did five years ago, you would look at me and laugh. That's probably but still that's above where we're at uh, now. <laughs> you, you really, you just have to get in there and do it. Mm-hmm. And every time you do it, you're going to get that much better. And, and my so. thing with, like, self-filming, right, and, and I'm horrible at it, man. Like, if I did, there'd be a million and one videos. I could film every day of my life and make a YouTube video on it. But I just, it, press and record is the hardest thing for me. But yep. you need to have in your mind that you need to set that goal that you're in the woods to get the hunting. You, you need either to make A or B, right? So, a is I'm going in there and I'm filming this hunt no matter what it takes. Whether I don't, whether I'm not able to shoot this this animal or not, I want it to be on film. Period. Or you need to go in there and say, screw the camera, I'm going in there to kill this deer. Period. Um, because if you go in there and say, well, if maybe if I get it, maybe I don't, you're not going to do it. It's not going to happen. And it's do what I say, not what I do, because I'm horrible at all of this. But. Yeah, I know I mean, what it takes to make that happen. <laughs> it sounds like, Trevor, I'm right there with you on it because I can't commit to, like, letting a buck walk if the shots, like, if like when I say shot, I mean, like, the camera angle isn't right. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm flinging an arrow if I get an opportunity, whether the camera's on or not. Um, right. 100%. But, uh, 100%. I've only got one shot on camera self-filmed. And it's like horrible quality off of like a GoPro, um, right? But like it's there. And, and um, but this year so we're. One thing, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no! I just what I was gonna wrap up with like uh, my brother Luke. He's really big into fishing, um, and I'm really big into hunting. So like we've kind of used filming to like almost bring us together on stuff we wouldn't typically do. So like this year I went fishing with him a lot just to carry a camera. Um, so like we're not really necessarily self filming everything. Um, this season, like there's still going to be that aspect of self-filming. Cause I mean, he did all of his Alaska stuff was, he brought his camera and did it all on his own. Um, but like, I just, I'd sit in the water and film him for hours while he's fishing and he's going to do the same cause he doesn't deer hunt at all. Um, so he's going to climb trees with me and we're going to see what happens. I mean, he, he can't stop moving. Like when he, he walleye fishes hard and he runs eight rods off his boat and like, he's just constantly moving. He's got the boat in autopilot. And I'm going to ask him to sit in a tree for, you know, six hours without moving. So we'll see how it goes. But <laughs> yep. No, and that's, I, I 100% agree with the way you go about it. 
And if there's anything I can tell you guys or anyone else when it comes to self-filming, there's a ratio you have to keep in mind. And this is where a lot of people fail, is if you get three times the amount of B-roll as you do A-roll, then you'll be all right for a video. Because if I only have 20 seconds of that deer coming in and me getting the shot and the deer running off, then I've still got five minutes of video of us walking in, of the birds flying in the limbs and hanging out and just cool shots that it's really easy to put voiceovers and kind of fill out and make an entire video of that hunt. But most people don't take the B-roll. They, they go, there's a deer, hit record, the deer came in, shoot it, deer's out of frame, turn it off, guess what? you got 20 seconds of video. Well, that's what everybody wants to see anyway, so what does it matter? I don't, see, I like, to, I like to build up with the stories, too. Like you said, with that turkey hunt, that you didn't kill anything. Like, it's... So, I guess, Stephen, i got to ask you, like, do you... Uh, your B-roll, do you film that before, like, while the hunt's still in progress and you haven't killed anything, or is that something you go back and do um, after the kill? So, all the B-roll I take, and this is just me and my way of doing it, the only B-roll I will take is during the hunt as it's mm-hmm. happening. I will not, hey, you got a kill shot. Now let's go back and take a video of you putting on the release and you doing this. I, I 100% disagree with it because it does not tell the true story. I got a lot of mm-hmm. respect for you from so, that because that's, that's big. I like that you, know, you keep true to the story of the actual hunt. I like that. Yeah. If I miss the shot, I will put in there in text that in the past, you know, during X and Y, I missed the, and I'll, I'll put it in there. I missed the shot, but this is what happened, and this is where we are now. I think, and, and that's, oops. I was, was going to say, I think that relates to, you know, 99% of the hunters out there. Like, shit happens that you weren't expecting. Like, I forgot to hit record, you know, whatever, like, People that are out there hunting as well understand that, and it probably adds to the story. That's that's what happened with our turkey hunt. So we literally, dude, like the organic side of it is this, is that we went in there in the mindset that we were going to kill turkeys on film, period, no matter what. And whether the lack of turkeys. Turkeys were there. No, <laughs> no, turkeys were there. Turkeys were in the shot, but they either wasn't on the camera or they were on the camera and couldn't get the shot or couldn't get the shot but they were on camera and we literally went in there with a the mindset of doing so um and going back to the whole b-roll thing it's a pain in the ass man when you get in the car you want to talk about what's going on you get then you get in your tree setting up getting down i mean all the, it's a pain in the ass to be getting playing it but i do it every single hunt whether i get something or i don't get something i literally when i wake up in the morning and i'm packing the car i'm running film when I get up, I, this is a new thing. Don't, don't, don't get this wrong. This is all new to me. So this year, been setting up, putting on the camera, getting in the tree, putting on the camera, talking to the camera. It sucks. It definitely sucks. But when I send it off to Steven, when something actually happens, it's all there, and it's all 100% what happened in it as the story was. Exactly. No, that's... And, and I would... I would rather have 30 minutes of random film 
of you getting dressed, you outside the car in the pitch black, you know, breath coming out of your mouth, you know, stuff that I can make cinematic to to tell that story that you were out there freezing your ass off in the dark and went out and climbed up this tree and you were bored out of your mind for six hours and then all of a sudden for 10 seconds this deer came through and you got a shot or you didn't get a shot. Mm -hmm. And then you show me that, oh, okay, here's the results. Either I didn't get it or I got it. Here's the blood trail or the here's what I learned from it. I can take either of those, whether it's a success or not, and tell that story in a way that makes sense. I think, I think honestly, that I think it's better that way 100% because now with everything going on in the industry, right, and who, you know, everybody's, now the whole thing is like hot in public, man. They really put that whole vibe back into it about the whole, the whole reel of it with real local dudes going out and killing a hundred inch deer on public land like how badass is that right and that's what everybody wants to see on youtube and everybody wants to see on video now they want to see the kids with the mitch max camo shooting does like that's what they want to see so Walmart warriors. that's it man that's what it's all about yeah i i love that the uh like hunting video uh side of the industry has made that turn because like as like growing up as a little kid and stuff watching like buckmasters and stuff like i mean it's awesome to watch like i mean nobody's going to tell you that watching a 180 inch deer hit the hit the ground in the woods is isn't badass but it's not something that i can realistically relate to in pennsylvania um so like watching exactly. like watching the videos like sounds like that you guys produce and like you know the hunting public and there i mean there's tons of them out there i i love finding like the underground videos of like guys that like there's no sponsors and stuff like that's like my favorite um like guys that are just like they're doing it just because they like to and they put it on youtube because maybe it was taking up too much space on their phone or something like whatever like those are the guys that i feel like are like the best videos to watch because it's relatable to me like they get so stoked out of killing you know like you said a 100 inch buck because like that's what i'm killing here you know and it's just it's so much more relatable um it just gets me stoked for the season. Right, and that's what it's about, is, is trying to start showing everybody in the industry, everybody trying to get involved, uh, just becoming hunters, is that, yeah, you may wake up and on the big network shows, see people out there, you know, Taylor Drury killing 200-inch deer on their private farm, but that's not reality for 99% of us. You know, we're out there, hey, it's, it's a basket rack, it's an eight point. I don't care what the score is, it's legal, I'm shooting it. That's a real hunt. Yeah, and, and you're shaking like crazy in the trees, though. To. Oh, exactly. You know, a 120-inch buck walks by me, I, I'm fighting that buck fever like you see people on TV hunting a 200-inch deer. Because that's a big deer to us on the East Coast. I'm, I'm trying to shoot button does. I don't know where you're getting 120 oh, bub. Two-year-olds, is that what you said? Two-year-old button does? That's what I said. <laughs> Two-year-olds only. Yeah. I don't know if Tom's filled in. I don't think Tom understands no, that no inside joke. I'll let, uh, I'll let Trev let you know what the, uh, the two-year-old button does. Uh, actually, they're shirts so, now, aren't they? Yeah, we got shirts out. 
we got uh, we got some more shirts coming out. We just came up with a new idea for another badass. I can't shirt, wait but, for it because, uh, dude, I love what you guys are doing for that. Like, but fill Tom in here if you don't mind on the uh, two-year-old so, button does. So two-year-old button does. So my old uh, old acquaintance, I guess we call him, old old host on uh, East Coast Warning Podcast. He actually uh, it's D-Rock, he shot a, You know who? Yeah, yeah just, D-Rock. He shot he shot a button buck, and to justify it. Instead of saying that he shot a button buck, he actually said he was like, oh, it's a button doe. It didn't have any nuts. Uh, and it's a two-and-a-half-year-old. And we're like, no, bro, it's a fucking one-year-old button buck. It is not. It, but he literally, man, hashtag fucking two-year-old two button doe. Like, he went on with it. He, I think he called National Geographic. I'm not really sure. Like, he made this, this huge fucking ordeal. And he thought people were buying this shit? Oh, he thought people were buying it. Oh, yeah. There was all kinds of... Th- I mean, dude, we can go on for hours. You know, the <laughs> dude, it's the so day. bad. Like, the <laughs> shit that came out, like, especially, like, uh, the podcast you guys, you did with Kirk Geyer, like, laid yep. everything out so freaking good. Um, just, like, because, like, I'd been following, following along, because, um, like, I, I, I listened to East Coast, like for a while and like I noticed one day like it wasn't in my subscriptions on Apple Podcasts and I was like well what the hell just happened so then I'm like well, all right well I jump over to Instagram and it's like gone and then it's like Facebook it's gone so like I started like trying to figure out what was going on and it like I mean obviously came to light pretty quick um right. but uh the whole the two-year-old button doe thing like really got me because like it, it was just hilarious <laughs> That's like Fabio too with this imaginary oh giant deer that he couldn't find. So we literally put on the back. We said, "Where's Fabio?" in question mark. And the, and the shirt is in penitentiary orange. Oh, that's um, awesome. Because he's he's going to prison. So that's, that's great news. Um, yeah. So that's that's uh, a <laughs> whatever, man. Send yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, just for uh, oh, for Tom's sake, Fabio was this buck he was talking about for too long about how, like, you know, I think the one episode he was talking about how he was, you know, like, within 60 yards of Fabio, and he didn't know he was there, and, like, was watching where he was betting and all this stuff, and it's, like, to me, it's, like, okay, if you actually have a deer at 60 yards and you know where he beds, like, it should have been dead already, you know, like, exactly, like, he he had, according to him, he had every piece of the puzzle except it being dead, so, like, it kind of proved that, like, this deer didn't exist. That deer had to have been nine years old, bro. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, I mean, like, does it go longer than? Forever. Does it go longer than uh, like the podcast itself? Like, I mean, did you know? Did you know him before you guys started a podcast? No. So where it had actually originated was um, I used to um, be part owner of uh, ctbowhunting.com, which was an online forum back in the days of the online forums. Okay, and I remember this. I was now. at a hunting show. And I had met him at a hunting show. Uh, he came up to me, he's like, bro, you need a podcast. And I'm like, listen, you long-haired, Rolex-wearing motherfucker, I, who the hell are you and where did you come from and what the fuck is a podcast? That's what I want to know. And so one thing led to another, and I was like, well, if I'm going to have a podcast, then you should obviously be part of it because you know what it is. But he was trying to make it so that just that he was going to help me out and help me connect to some people and whatever else. Um, but I wanted, I wasn't going to do it without him. And then, yeah, push comes to shove. Look at me, fool. But it is what it is, man. Look where we're at. But between the two of us, we're now on three different podcasts. 
and uh, yeah. all been pretty well successful. Yeah, because Stephen Stephen is actually he's he's from the podcast world too. He had a podcast before um, before being on the Outdoor Drive also. Okay, well, and it, it was a very it was a very similar situation. Uh, my co-host on that show pretty much played the same line. I'm a new hunter. I don't know what I'm doing, but uh, I'm going to pretend that I'm a Drury and I'm killing 500 inch deer. And when we started calling bullshit, where I just basically said that's enough of that shit and that's what led me and Trev to get together again going back to a story into saying all right you know what you're doing and I've got a little bit of experience and let's do our thing that's crazy that you guys had like almost like kind of similar um backgrounds like in the podcast world and it like brought you guys together which is pretty neat like I, I never understood why people lied about like what they know or don't know um whether it's on a podcast or like sitting at a like at the table after you know everybody's been hunting up a deer camp or something like like if you don't know you don't know like I, I never understood why people like want to fake that they know shit. Um, exactly. Oh, it just didn't make sense. I think a lot of it too is deer shaming. Do I yeah. buck shaming is like one of my biggest pet peeves. Like oh that it's like that's like the one thing that like gets under my skin so bad during deer season like you get this kid that's like 14 years old first buck and he has to put that little disclaimer at the bottom that it's not the biggest buck but you know like i'm like dude it's your buck you decided to kill it like it's own it you know be happy about it the back strap's gonna taste probably better than that big buck anyway like yep i just I, I hate buck shaming it's kind of crazy and I, so i a good hunting partner, an old hunting partner of mine who I no longer associate with because of gear shaming and all this, and me and him had very different goals. Um, he was kind of like that wannabe trophy hunter, but was a horrible trophy hunter. Um, but he literally would talk down to people uh, all the time and, and, and gear shame people constantly you know, how he did this better. He was literally at one point was trying to bring down the caliber of the deer in the state saying that there's not that big of caliber of deer when he was shooting like a hundred inches. Um, and whatever, man, like shoot whatever the hell you want to shoot. So yesterday or the day before our season just started here in September 15th. So I see him oh, and he's on bastards. one of the hunting pages. <laughs> yeah, man. So I've been hunting hard for the past couple of days here. What the hell? So, yeah, we're still waiting. No, so do you guys get an opportunity to velvet buck? We yeah, so there's been a couple of them, dude. There was one that hit the ground the other day. It was a hundred and something. It was over 130 inches with a drop time full velvet. That is awesome. Um, That's like my dream is a full velvet buck. This year, with with the weather being the way that it was, these deer have held on to their velvet for a lot longer, and there is more velvet deer that have hit the ground here in Connecticut than there is anywhere else. Um, I mean, any other year, I'm sorry, not anywhere else, any, any other year. Um, but going back on that, so he was on one of the Facebook pages on the 14th and was saying, oh, you know, somebody had posted up a picture of a deer and was like, oh, would you shoot this deer? And he's like, well, you know, if you wanted to shoot a 115-inch uh, three-year-old, then go ahead and do it. And then I get a screenshot of him, and he had shot like a fucking, like a 90-inch eight-pointer. And I was like, are you kidding me, bro? 
you you were just shaming that guy because he was going to shoot a 115 inch three point uh, three year old, and you shot a 90 inch two year old. Like, mature. Are you kidding me? <laughs> why? It's just stupid. Like, why? Who cares? And I get it, man. Like, you should like you were saying, you should never shame somebody for what they take. If they if if it's if legal, they, go for it. If they got their it. rocks off. Yeah, if they got their rocks off and they pulled that trigger, man, they obviously were happy with what they did, man. And you should be so proud of them, and you should be happier for them than they are for themselves of taking that deer, whether it's a spike horn, whether it's a fork horn. And like I say, man, the only way you're going to learn how to kill deer and be very good at killing deer is by killing deer. You should deer, man. Fucking pile them up. Shoot as many deer as you possibly can because the only way you're going to get good at it how many guys that have 150, 160-inch deer from wall to wall to ceiling to floor have a pile of antlers or skull caps in the corner of four corns and four and four pointers and six pointers? Well, Every exactly single right. one of them. That's I got uh, Every single one of them. PA's got an antler restriction now, so you have like a three up on one side, but it, you know, 30 years ago it wasn't like that. And my grandpa's one of the big guys that me and Tom both look up to when it comes to hunting. Um, my grandpa was fortunate enough to be able to travel uh, the country, and he's hunted pretty much all big game in North America. Um, but I've got pictures of him, you know, from, you know, before I was even born, like back in the 70s, holding like these, like what somebody would consider a small buck. And he's grinning just as happy as when he's holding mm-hmm. a trophy mule deer. Like, his facial expressions don't change. Like, and that's what was, I, like, that's always hit me really hard was just the fact that, like, it, to him it didn't matter what size animal he killed, like, whether it was an elk or a sheep or a whitetail or he was, you know, or a rabbit. Like, he was just as happy just to be out there doing it. And, like, I've always, you know, stuck to that um, and just always 100%. really liked it. And, and I'm... I'm a big believer in the way I've always looked at it is, you know, I don't kill giant deer. I'm, I'll never be a Clint Casper or something like that. That but dude straight kills. Day, when I shoot something, I know damn good and well, I am going to appreciate how much food I get off of that. Mm-hmm. I could care less about the bone at the end of the day. It's great. It's a good way to measure it, but I'm more proud of how much food I have to eat than I do how much bone is on that head. Yeah, and sharing that meat with everybody, too. Like, one of my favorite things is, you know, doing tenderloins and heart out of a deer that night. You know, it never even hits the ice. And, yep, sit, and nobody exactly. nobody cares about the size of the rack when it's sitting in the stew, you know. It's just everybody's right. happy, and, you know, beer tastes just the same, whether it was a doe or a buck or a monster. And, and that's the thing is, especially in these days and age, you know, you're looking at people in the inner city who can't get their hands on meat because of the meat shortages at the beef factories. And we're sitting here with a freezer full of deer meat having steaks every night. <laughs> and the people that used to call us crazy for killing deer and calling us inhumane and murderers and whatever, they're all wishing they had steaks. Guess what? We got them. That's a good point. And I'm going to get more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's early in the season. Rub it in. Yeah. Rub it in. I got two weeks. Yeah, yeah we, we start up. Uh, New York starts October 1st, and PA starts, I think, like October 3rd. Um, 
Yeah. So we still got a couple yeah, weeks. PA is the same as Virginia. Yeah. Um, so we'll probably in PA they still were they we've only got we got three days or three Sundays throughout three all of Sundays. Yeah. Big celebration right there. I'm proud of that. I mean, I'm happy that we're moving in that direction. Um, but man, like get with the times. Everybody else is hunting every Sunday. Like false. Are you? Are you? Who else? Who else is stuck in? Conversation last week. <laughs> okay, Sounds so like Connecticut's we, not hunting Sundays either. No, no, we we're well. I'm sorry. I take I. I'm sorry. I strongly take that back. We are hunting on Sundays, but it's bow only on private land. What the hell is Which that? Is still better than PA. Yeah, I mean that's that's one thing I've always said was like that PA like for or or private land regardless like nobody should tell you that you can't hunt a certain day during the season on private land. It's your land, you paid for it. Yeah, and then even the game lands in PA are funded by license sales, so you know right. you get the people that don't hunt. They're like, well, I like to walk my dogs and stuff. It's like, well, buy a hunting license and help fund this thing. But like everybody, like all this public land is. Like funded by license sales, like I forget which state it is, but there is actually a state that actually, I think they're trying it this year. Stephen, maybe do you remember this? There's actually a state that's, um, it is a law now. If you want to hike on the land, you need to get a permit, and you have to buy a permit to hike on the land. So you have to actually like like a like a conservation stamp or whatever to actually hike on the land. And I support that. In certain areas. I'm all about it, man. So that affects, so I can't remember exactly where that is. It was on the news for your crew, so I think Mike was talking about it. Right. Mike was all over that. Um, I know, like, here in Virginia, you have to have a uh, National Wild Bulls permit in order to go in and do some of that stuff. Um to go in and hunt it, to go hike it, to go recreate in it, you have to have it. You got to have a Forest Service stamp. I love it. I think I think that that hikers or bird watchers should have to buy a migratory federal bird stamp also. If they want to take pictures of them, what's the difference of me killing them or them taking pictures of them? Is the same thing. I take pictures of them too. Yep. They're just dead on the tailgate. I've got as much, <laughs> I've got as much film of different birds sitting in trees or on water as I do pictures of them dead because again going back to that b-roll i see an ice bird in a tree i'm going to get some b-roll yeah you and need it for the story no difference yeah i've got to have my license and permission to film that bird in there while i'm hunting why don't they if they're just coming out strictly to film it that's a good point and i think i can get behind that i mean if they're going to use the same land we are I mean, help fund it, you know, chip in a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we're paying for it. What are they providing? And they'll be the first ones to give us a hard time about yeah. being in their hunting. Yeah, they, they want to yep. tell us that, you know, well, I need time to walk my dog or photograph without the hunters in there. I'm like, well, you're not paying for it. <laughs> exactly. I, I, yeah, I'm sure we could go off for a while talking about that. Like, <laughs> that that's a rabbit hole I don't think we want to go. No, don't go down there. No, especially talking about liberals. Yeah, I mean, especially don't we're an hour there. and a half in already, which crazy. I mean, we kind of went off on some tangents and stuff, but it's all good stuff, I think. Um, <laughs> but that's yeah, just, that's the way we, we run our podcast. You know, I, I hate the, um, 
I don't know, like we have an outline, but I, it, that's more just to like prepare somebody. Um, I don't like to like, I don't, the scripted feel just like the, it's not natural. And I don't know, it, not anything I was ever a fan of when listening to podcasts. That's how I roll. That's how we roll. And that, that's yeah. why I liked your guys' no podcast so much as I felt just it was good shit. Let it, just let it happen if it's going to happen. Just having a full conversation. We've gone on some crazy tangents about shit that doesn't have anything to do with what we were even talking about. It didn't even have anything to do with hunting. I mean, you get me talking about liberals, dude, and it's over, bro. It's, it's oh, like yeah. It, just don't go there. Just don't go there. It's so easy to get caught off guard. Um, it's crazy. But, like, with the podcast and stuff, like, I know you guys got, like, a lot more experience with us and even um, with, like, the little bit of audio trouble and stuff we had. Um, I did want to pick your guys' brains a little bit while we got you here. Um, just about like sure. your guys' like experience with running podcasts, like some of like like the challenges you guys have come into and like what you guys do to stay motivated and help with, you know, like coming up with different episodes and everything. Because like I know one thing we're like we don't have anything preloaded. And like what I mean by that is like since – the second week of January this year, we have recorded every single week. We have a, we have no bank of um, episodes. Like we have not missed a single week yet, and we record every single week. We have nothing saved up for hunting season, and we're just like it, it's it's a it's a crazy grind that I don't think any of us realized was coming when we decided like to like put on Instagram, hey, we're gonna start a podcast, and we're just like too stubborn to miss a week, basically. So I just wanted to like kind of pick your guys' brain a little bit about like what you guys do to stay motivated and uh, keep getting like you guys are hitting killer guests already. Like so you guys had John Eberhardt on there, like it was an awesome episode. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. It's just, you know, it's one of those things that you just I mean, the best thing you can do is stay consistent, man. You have to be consistent, period. No matter what. No, whether whether it comes out on Monday or it comes out on Tuesday or it comes out on Wednesday. I mean, those people are always waiting for it. Um, and, and the drive for us, honestly, is the supporters, man, and just being there for them. You, at first, you know, like you're like, ah, nobody wants to hear what I got to say, but then you start to realize how many people that actually there is out there that want to hear what you got to say. Um, and it's, we do it for the supporters, man, and the people that are around us, and the, we call it the power of the podcast, bro. The people that we meet every single day, the people that reach out to us, the people that talk to us every single day, some of the, my best friends, and the people that I associate with, like Steven, is, he's a brother to me, man. And, and I met him through podcasting. Um, it's a whole different realm. It's changed my life. It's changed the way I think. It's the, changed the way I speak. The, it changes the way that, that I just run my life, man. It's, it's all about the podcast. Um, it's a lifestyle. And you just have to stay on that grind and, and just do it. Um, right. You know, getting different guests and talking to different people. Um, we don't have any in the bank neither. I'll be honest. That's re- that's refreshing that. to hear because like I feel like because like I said we had no mentors. I know nobody personally that's ever done a podcast. Um, we literally just like we've invested all of our own money in it. We have no sponsors. Like we we don't make a penny off of this. Like we do it strictly because we like nope. to do it. Um, and it basically like us for us like we just we or we found ourselves like talking about hunting and fishing and trapping 
all the time. And it was like, let's just hit record and, you know, see if people are interested. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it was like, we realized that like, oh, an interface costs a lot of money and, you know, four mics cost a ton of money and editing (laughs) software, like, and all of a sudden now we're like four broke kids that like aren't making any money back, but we keep coming to it every week. And like, just when I feel like I'm losing my motivation, I get like a comment on YouTube from some dude in like Iowa or something like, Hey, I just found your podcast. Like absolutely love what you guys are doing. And it's just, it seems like it happens at like just the right time. Like, like you said, the power of the podcast where Mm -hmm. like I'm struggling to like get motivated to like, you know, come up with an idea or something. And then, you know, it, it could be somebody like, I'm like at a bar in my hometown and you know, I wear like, I wear my white cat hat everywhere I go. Like that's like, I promote myself that way. Like I throw my white cat hat on everywhere I go, whether I'm at work, the bar, anywhere. And somebody's like, Oh, what's white cat? You know? And I tell them a little bit about it. Cause like, I don't like push it on people either. Um, but if they ask about it, I'm all, I'm going to start talking. And it's like, that's pretty cool in that aspect. Um, but yeah, I just like, it, it's refreshing for me to hear that you guys are the same way when it comes to like, oh, yeah. there's nothing like pre like in the bank for you guys. You just, you keep firing from the hip every week. Um, that's really refreshing to hear. And, it, and it's, guys, I was just going to say that, you know, in the reality of it is, yeah, we're right there with you and we're a record it and publish it every week. Mm-hmm. We don't have anything in the bank and hunting season. We actually, we've looked at it negatively in the past. Like, Oh, well, we're going to have a hard time getting people on cause they're hunting and this and that. But at the end of the day, you know, we're going to have people that are going to have success in the field and be able to get them on. And even if it's a 30-minute episode and they can tell us about their situation, what they learned, what they did, what they experienced, you know, a 30-minute episode of that is better than an hour-and-a-half conversation of strict bullshit, you know, trying to figure something out. Yeah, so for sure. At the end of the day, you know, really a lot of people in that we've really – gotten close to is you know they'll refer to podcasting you know it's a grind it's a grind you've got to stick with the grind and the way we've come to look at it is you know it's not a grind it's reality it's a lifestyle Mm -hmm. you choose to do it and that's what you do we enjoy doing what everyone refers to as the grind because we have fun doing it where Mm -hmm. you know you may run into people that are struggling and they look at it as this is hard. It's tough to us. It's fun. Yeah. And and you'll see a lot of podcasts that literally just go 15 episodes and then disappear because they can't handle it. And literally like, like, like Steven said, man, it is our life. We revolve our, our vacations around it. We revolve our lives around it. Our wives revolve around the podcast. <laughs> yeah. They won't admit it, but they do. They do. Um, it's, you know, it's, and, you know, you talk about a couple of broke kids, man. I spent my summer salary on buying equipment for the podcast. Brand new computers, bro. Two brand new computers, mixer boards, microphones. I We have eight microphones. Um, I literally Damn. just renovated my entire basement just to have a studio. Um, we're in the process of getting headsets to be completely 100% mobile. Um, it's, and we don't make a penny. There is nobody that pays us a penny to do this. It all comes from our heart and it all comes from our pocket. 
and it's expensive, man. It's not cheap, and it's not easy. But you know what? And and for me, what drives me to do it, one hundred percent is Chaz, if, Real quick, what that dry board. <laughs> it's it's honestly the if there is one person, I don't care who it is, man. If I save one person and get them in the outdoors, or I influence one person to do one thing, because they saw it on our podcast or our YouTube, man. It makes it all worth every single penny, man. I don't know how many people... I Where this all started for me, and it really touched home, and it really changed my life, was I was walking through Harrisburg show. This is when I was with East Coast. Walking through Harrisburg, and a kid walked up to me, and he said, Yo, you're East Coast Trev. And my response would normally be, Who the fuck are you? And But it wasn't. It was... It was, yeah, that's me. Well, how do you know who I am? And he's like, you're Trev from East Coast Bowling Podcast. And, I'm, and for me, man, when that 16-year-old kid said that to me, it totally changed me. Totally changed everything of why I do this. No, that's that's really cool. Like, it, it's, like I said, refreshing to hear that you guys are, like like I said, the unpaid. Like, And, and I don't have any problem with podcasts that are sponsored. It's just for us, like, we're not at that point. Um, and I don't, and I don't know that we ever will be like, it's not really necessarily like in our sites to be like this paid thing. Like it's kind of nice to not have to like, we don't have to answer to anybody. We can do whatever the heck we want. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember like when we first got started, um, and learning the whole, uh, podcast world, basically, um, I remember we recorded like an hour and a half episode and, I'm the, I do all of our own editing for the podcast and I somehow deleted the entire thing. I deleted the backup file, everything. And that was on, I think like a Thursday night or a Friday night. I think it was Thursday night. And we release every day or every week, uh, Sunday morning at 5 a.m. And yeah, I'm the idiot that decided that. Um, I don't know, like I have no idea why I decided Sunday at 5 a.m. But that was like, for whatever reason, that's what I picked. Um, so like Thursday night, I'm editing the podcast for Sunday, and I delete the whole thing. Frank's already down in Harrisburg, um, working a booth for uh, an outfitter um, for Alaska. And I'm like, dude, we're, it was like episode six. I'm like, dude, there's no way we're missing a week. Like, we can't do this at episode six. Like, we'll lose every, like, all of our credibility. And like I said, at that point, we probably had like three people listening, and like two of them were my parents. Um, but like I still was like we have to do this. So I drove from Erie to Harrisburg Friday night or no Saturday morning. Um, I stayed with Frank at the booth all day till like nine o'clock when they shut down. Went back to his hotel, recorded a podcast with some other outfitters in Alaska, um, and edited the podcast by like two thirty in the morning so I could have it uploaded Sunday morning at uh, five a.m. and then drove home like. <laughs> It was like, and it was all because I like really loved the podcast and didn't want to like let any, like even like I said, there was like nobody listening and I just didn't want to let anybody down it that early on even. You're still there. Hello. Oh, really? Wonder how much of that you are. Yeah. 
That's what I'm wondering now, too. Hey, did uh, we lost you somehow? Yeah, we lost. All right, I guess he's back. Uh, yeah, we lost you there for a second. You were talking about. Uh, um, let me see here. I know I was kind of going off on a story about Harrisburg. Um, I don't know yeah, how. You had you had just got to Harrisburg. He was at the uh, the Outfitters, and you weren't going to settle for not having an episode. Yeah, so I stayed with him. Like, I, I walked around Harrisburg and sat at his booth all day. Um, and then we went back to a hotel Saturday night, recorded a podcast. By the time I got everything edited, it was like right around 2 a.m., 2.30. Got it uploaded so it was ready for 5 a.m. on Sunday. Um, and then I drove back from Harrisburg, which is like a five-and-a-half-hour drive. Like, and like it, the reason I did it, like I said, like nobody was listening, but... I just like we love doing the podcast so much where I just didn't want to like episode six. We didn't want to be that podcast that, like you said, goes 15 episodes and dies out. You know, like I figured we can't have this happen this early on. Absolutely. So I, I get it. it. It'll, it'll all, all come together, man. And, and you know, what? it'll pay off because someone will go episode six. That was the most badass episode you ever did. I hope so. <laughs> it was a pretty <laughs> rough episode. Um, but, I mean, like I said, it, we, it worked out. Like I said, we had two guys from that have been – they've got, like, 20 years' experience um, in the bush up in Alaska. Um, so it was actually a really good episode. Um, but, I mean, it was – it's been fun. Like I, like I said, I enjoy every single week. Um, and I love that we've stayed consistent. We haven't had a single week that we didn't produce, which is – been awesome for us that's the most important thing man consistency is the number one most important thing when you stop when you don't have a podcast that week then they're gonna then the the supporters will go to they'll go somewhere else man they won't have to come back to to listen to you so you'll definitely lose them if you're not consistent yeah that's that's what what we're afraid of basically yeah and i'll tell you this is you know i was i was very i was lucky um, my mentor through this and really close friend is Kurt Geyer, um, King Code himself. I mean, he was the one that, you know, that started me off and taught me everything that I know. Um, I was just, if it wasn't for him, bro, I wouldn't know what I know. I would never have a podcast. I would never, no, no way, no how. Um, and that's the dude that I had the chance to bounce off of when I was starting um, that's who I talked to. That was the one I said, I still have it, dude. I still have the piece of paper. I was an envelope and I wrote on the back of it when he told me what I needed to buy. Um, that's really cool that you had somebody to like talk to about that. And Kurt's, I mean, if you, if you're going to have anybody to talk to you about doing a hunting podcast, it's Kurt. Um, I mean, I don't, in my opinion, he's that like, I started listening to Kurt a long time ago with the working class bow hunter. Um, and I mean, like you said, if you if you're gonna have a mentor for podcasting, I would say he's the one to do it because their their stuff's 
the uh, I mean, their podcast is amazing. Like, I mean, there's nothing I, I can't say anything bad about it. No. So that's awesome that you no, had him to. Uh, paved the road. Yeah, it, it's Kurt, awesome that you were able to well go to him. Because I mean, we were we're sitting here with like we had no idea what we were doing, and I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but each week it, it feels like I, I know a little bit more. Um, so you, you, you get it, man. Like I said, going back to psych kill me. Every time you hit record, you're gonna get that much better. Yeah, I hope so. Like I said, we're we're enjoying it. Um, I appreciate you guys, you know, joining us on our podcast because, like, you guys have been doing it for a lot longer, and you know, for you guys to take literally two hours out of your evening, which I know you guys are busy because we've taken so. It's been weeks we've been trying to plan this. Um, it, it gets crazy this time of year, man. The transition between fishing and hunting, and you know, like me, like myself, like my day starts at two thirty in the morning. Bro. That's like, nuts. So I'm up at. Two thirty, three o'clock every single morning, and then I don't get home till eight, nine o'clock. So it's especially if I have double days. So like my weekends are the busiest, bro. I'll start tomorrow at two thirty in the morning. I'll cut home eight, nine o'clock. I'll be back up two thirty in the morning. I have an hour drive each way. So things get kind of crazy and hectic. And I know it took a lot to kind of like mingle it up. And then opening day, deer season started, and then so it kind of. Yeah. <laughs> no, not, like I said, I I really appreciate you guys doing that and. You know, with you getting up Thanks that early. For having and, us, man. Yeah, I, like I said, it's been fun. Um, but with, especially with you having to get up that early, um, we can move right along into what uh, what we call write it in pen. Um, something we started early on. We actually had a suggestion from one of our listeners that we made a joke about, you know, writing something in pen, you know, referring to, you know, write it down so you don't want to forget this. Um, so what we like to do is, like, have our guests give us, like, a write it in pen, um, something they want to leave our listeners with, Um at this point of the episode at the end, you know, whether it's something we talked about or not, um, whatever you guys want to leave our listeners with. Definitely. Trev, you want to lead this or you want me to? Um, go ahead, Steve. I'll follow up. I All got right. something. So. All right. So what, what I want to leave everyone with, and this has been a big thing in my life for a long time, is at the end of the day, no matter what your goals are, no matter what your plans are, one, you have to go for them, but two, you got to take care of yourself. You know, if you're in a shitty job or you're in a situation that is dragging you down and you're putting more time and effort into that than you are yourself, you're hurting yourself. So when it comes to hunting season in particular, if you haven't taken care of yourself, you're not healthy, say you're drinking too much, you're smoking too much, whatever it may be, that's going to pay off in a negative way. So, ultimately, you got to take care of yourself if you ever want to get to step two. So, Thank to piggyback that. on that, um, my thing is is this, is that I have a couple quotes, man. I live by quotes in, in theories. I mean, that's how I, that's how I run my life. So, my thing is everyone's responsible for their own destiny and also, the second one is shoot for the moon and uh, shoot for the stars and land on the moon. And those two things are very powerful things. And, and if 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 I could leave somebody with something, is this is that with the first one, everyone's responsible for your own destiny. Nobody's going to change anything unless it's you. So you need to go and make that move. And with that, aim for the stars and land on the moon, man. And and that is no matter what, 
you can change yourself and you can do whatever you want to do. If you're in that daily grind of work, um, you know, don't be, don't be a sheep, man. Be, be a wolf and go out and change it and, and, and shoot for the, shoot for the stars and land on the moon. And, and, uh, I can't even speak fucking English right now. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't know where to go. Um, but no, just, just that, you know, change your life, man. If you want to do something and you have a goal, man, just do it. Um, you know, tomorrow's not always promised and, and you're not always going to have that opportunity and it might be too late and you might not be able to do that. So go out and do that. Like if you want to be in the outdoor industry, you want to be a podcaster, you want to be a filmer, you want to you want to play you want to be a fucking ballet dancer just go and do it um if you don't do it then then you'll never know if you can do it i appreciate that that's both really good things that you know we can take in and anybody that's listening to i appreciate that uh fellas before I, I we hope that's what you're asking <laughs> oh no that's exactly what it is i mean okay um, sometimes people give us like hunting advice sometimes it's like deeper shit like you guys just did um, and I like, uh, it's a good mix. Um, you know, we had a lot, I had a lot of fun on this podcast. Um, but it, it's nice to kind of bring it back down and, you know, hit something that's, I mean, everybody could benefit from. Absolutely. So, yeah. But before we, uh, sign everybody off here, like I do want to, you know, let, let you guys let everybody know where, like, you know, the reason I wanted you guys on was because I enjoy your podcast. Um, and I hope, that you know people that listen to us if they haven't found you already i want to give them an opportunity to see where you guys are at um so if you can kind of just let us know where we can find you guys or and our listeners can find you um that'd be great for us and them um uh, so you can just ask your alexa um play outdoor drive podcast no uh just kidding no, that, we actually just probably, played you, it on the you guys have that did you guys sign yeah. into the, you did Yep. We just did so, that as well, like like two weeks ago. Um, that was kind of neat. I just I, first person that I've heard somebody say that, so it was just kind of neat. It was it was kind of a, so Stephen had texted me and he said Alexa play Outdoor Drive podcast and I'm like what the fuck are you talking about and he's like I just signed us up for Amazon and I'm like ah oh, cool man that's fucking pretty badass but um no so you can find us um pretty much Facebook Instagram uh, we do have a TikTok. <laughs> Um, I have a TikTok, but it's more of the outdoor drive stuff. Um, YouTube, that's our big thing, man. If you guys can find us on YouTube, subscribe, like, share, so on and so forth. But uh, you can find us on I, uh, Apple, any any major uh, platform. Yeah. Um, it's the, the outdoor drive podcast. You can find me on uh, Instagram, East Coast Trev. You can find me on Facebook. It's Trevor Berwick, or we have an actual East Coast Trev page. Um, how about you, Steven? I'm simple, so I don't play a lot of the social media game. I run a lot of the, the YouTube stuff for the Outdoor Drive podcast page and on Instagram at Outdoor Drive Steve. He's okay. allergic to Facebook. <laughs> Too much time in combat, man. That drama is unhealthy. <laughs> uh. But, yeah, you can find us just about anywhere. We're in the process of building a, a website now, so it would be uh, OutdoorDrivePodcast.com, but that's not up and running yet. So Perfect. Well, I want to thank you guys again uh, for joining us on here. Especially yeah, thanks for, for being on the show, guys. For especially two hours, and that's a long us, man. one. Um, thanks, but, thanks for having us, man, and taking that time out and, and, you know, getting the message out there for us, man. We really appreciate it. It means, it means the world to us. 
All right, boys, I appreciate it. Um, I'm sure we'll stay in touch and, you know, let us know how you guys are doing through deer season, especially while we can't get in the woods yet. So. <laughs> I feel your pain, brother. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right, man, we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks again. All right, thank you. Thank you. Well, if you've stayed with us this long, um, thank you. This was a long podcast, but a very good podcast uh, with the Outdoor Drive group, uh, Stephen and Trevor. Uh, good guys to talk to. We had a lot of fun with this one. Um, like I said, Trevor's already out there deer hunting. We're getting ready to start deer hunting. So whatever it is you guys are getting ready to do, make sure you're getting outside. Mm-hmm.